just me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie Two Point Rodeo Rodeo Radio. How are you? How oh, here we are. <laughs> oh my gosh, where we highlight idealists and idealism, where our collective mission is to work for positive change in this very complicated and often confusing and unforgiving world. How are you today? I hope you're well. Me? Eh, I'm pretty good. I am. We have a great show today. We really do. The big interview is with Pam Rick of LEAF. It is a Canadian nonprofit that works for gender justice and equality across Canada. You will enjoy listening to, trust me, listening to Pam, a wonderful idealist. And in my C block, of course, I always talk about my work as an idealist, but, but always as we do. Okay. Um, here in my A block, let me highlight this week's featured idealist. Um, who, as usual, um, is likely someone you've never, ever heard of, nor I suspect will you have ever heard of his innovative project for highlighting various idealists from across the world. I am speaking about Robert uh, Shetterly. Um, Robert Shetterly is uh, – his bio indicates that he's presently 77 years old. He's a 1969 Harvard graduate, and at the time that he attended Harvard, uh, the Vietnam War was raging, and he became an activist in the civil rights and anti-war movement. Uh, Following his uh, time in Cambridge, he relocated to Maine, where he taught himself how to draw, paint, and make prints. He became the editorial page illustrator for the Maine Times, and then an illustrator for more than 30 children's books and various other projects. Um, and then uh, he also has two books out, one uh, that came out in 2021, which is titled Portraits of Racial Justice, because what Robert Shetterly does is he draws people. He paints portraits of people, living and dead. He has another book out, Portraits of Earth Justice, that came out in 2022. Things apparently changed for Robert Shetterly, as they did for so many other people, um, including yours truly here, when 9-11 happened. As a way of dealing with his grief and anger, he set out to paint the portraits of 50 Americans who inspired him. However, the portrait painting didn't end there, and as of last year, he had painted more than 260 portraits. He titled the series of all of these portraits, Americans Who Tell the Truth, A-W-T-T, Americans Who Tell the Truth. The portraits are of Americans both living and dead. They include humans such as Muhammad Ali, James Baldwin, Cesar Chavez, Langston Hughes, um, some of whom I have highlighted already on this show as idealists. But um, Robert Shetterly also and his his organization, American who, Americans Who Tell the Truth, also have a whole lot of people who are just ordinary humans who spoke or continue to speak truth to power. Now, this Americans Who Tell the Truth is quite the website. I urge you to go. All you have to do is Google Americans Who Tell the Truth, and you'll be able to find the website. To spread the word about Americans Who Tell the Truth, Robert Shutterly takes collections of the portraits of the, the various people that he's, drawn, he's painted. He takes them to public schools, to libraries, to colleges and universities where he shares about their stories and talks about the need for us Americans – to honestly and bravely face injustice um, and to face those and speak truth to those who are in power. Um, 
uh, and those who are in power is seeking to prey on our fear of other. The goal is to reinforce the need for dissent in democracy, uh, the obligation of, of citizenship, and how democracy can't function if politicians don't tell the truth and if people don't demand it. I mean, we're talking about America here right now. The the degree of falsehoods, the degree of outright lies that are going, that are part of the political climate right now, the political landscape is appalling, okay? Now, I want just to give you some idea about Robert Shetterly, and I, I want to read some stuff. It's going to be a little lengthy here from his artist statement um, in 2022. And this is what he writes partly. So bear with me, okay? And of course, you know, I'll screw it up because when I read text, I don't always read it right. But here we go. Quote, in January 22, AWTT, artists who uh, who uh, talk truth, um, uh, turned 20 years old. And uh, uh, I'm 75 years old and still as hungry for experience, knowledge, understanding, and courageous role models as I was at 55. People my age are usually clearing the decks, holding garage sales, packing for goodwill, setting boxes of old books and ugly crockery at the curb, writing codicils to the will. But as time grows shorter for me, I want to drink deeply of the world's best distilled time, keeping added, adding exemplary citizens to the, this company of truth tellers, strengthen this pictorial indictment of corruption and violence, reinforce this bulwark against racism and hypocrisy, polish this mirror of love and injustice, this mirror of love and justice, deepen this catalog of inspiration. Americans who tell the truth has tried to be a lantern that throws its light forward and back knowing the truth of the, pa- of the past struggles for justice is essentially seeing clearly the obstacles and possibilities in the future. He goes on to write, quote, These days, the flame of my anger at injustice still burns brightly. Yet navigating the world's injustices is like running a gauntlet of moral insults. The burden of continual injustices and, and angers is more than one person can bear or should. And consequently, I'm constantly replete with admiration and love for the people I've painted who so fiercely bear those burdens. However, I'm also less confident that this country will solve its environmental, social, and racial justice issues. And more amazed at the depth, now get this, and more amazed at the depth of ignorance, racism, and belligerent nastiness in some quarters. One is tempted to contend that this ignorance is willful, and it may be in part, but I prefer to think it's the result of cynical leadership stoking the flames of prejudice and racism. I prefer that explanation because it offers a way out. More honest and deeply informed teaching and leadership, which happens to be the mission of AWTT, better teaching does not offer a quick magic exit from the maze of our own prejudice partner partisanship, violence, and and environmental devastation. It offers a string to follow out of the darkness. And lastly, he writes this. The question at the heart of AWTT, Americans who tell the truth, is simple. Do we want to construct our identities from complex truths or from easy and flattering untruths? An identity shaped by complex truths is as humbling as it is freeing. Then we can see the world as it is 
and shoulder the necessary responsibilities. Voltaire is famous for saying anyone can make you believe absurdities. You can ma- anyone who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Again, think about that. Voltaire is saying this. Anyone who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. I am exhausted by living in a country that justifies the atrocities it commits as the epitome of patriotism. Let's ennoble ourselves by insisting on believing in the justice and hard work of our ideals. Let's commit citizenship for the common good. Now that is Robert Shetterly's words. He is the founder of Americans Who Tell the Truth. He is, no doubt, an idealist. Um, And I urge you to go to the Americans Who Tell the Truth. That's all you have to do, Google. Americans Who Tell the Truth website. It will come up. It is an idealist wonderment. It is filled with the stories of nearly 300 American idealists. Now, I will tell you, um, this morning as I was preparing for this show, I went. I was on the website, obviously, and I reached out. I mean, you know, they said, you know, contact us. And I wrote this very simple paragraph where I said, you know, I preparing for the show. I, I, I I'm an idealist, um, and I would. I wonder if Robert Shetterly would be willing to be on my show. Do you know? Not even an hour later, Rob. He goes by Rob. Wrote back. He said, Ellie, I'd love to be on your show. So guess what? Sometime in October, we're going to have Robert Shetterly from Americans Who Tell the Truth. We're going to have him on the show. You're going to hear from this raging, that is the best possible word I can use, raging idealist. So, hey, you know, um, we're trying to get people here to shake it up. And I think he's going to be one that will absolutely do that. Okay. All right. Well, that is our featured idealist of the of today, Robert Shetterly, and his organization, the nonprofit he's created, Americans Who Tell the Truth. Check them out, and you'll get to hear from him in about a month, give or take. Okay. All right. Big interview coming up. Pam Rick, who is with Leaf, nonprofit out of Canada that works for gender justice, women's equality, protecting trans and non-binary people, and you're going to hear this story about how America. What's going on in our country is starting to infect Canada. Horrible. But people like Pam Rick are up there to try and prevent the harm from occurring. All right. We'll be back in a second. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, visit my website. I am still on Twitter at Ellie Krug or X, whatever it's called now. All right. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. And we're back. Ellie 2.0 Radio, the Indigo Girls. Lovely. And uh, I'm really thrilled for the big interview. We have somebody else who's lovely. I have Pam Rick here, who is the executive director and general counsel of LEAF, which is a Canadian nonprofit based out of Toronto doing gender justice work. But Pam's going to be able to explain it a lot better than me. Pam, welcome to Ellie 2.0 Radio. Thank you for being here. 
Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm just thrilled. And so for the backstory for the audience here is that you and I, about oh, two months ago, we were on a panel uh, to talk in part or mainly about transgender rights in Canada and in the U.S. And, and, uh, and we got to know each other briefly that way. But I was so impressed with your idealism that I wanted to have you on the show. So welcome and thank you for being here. Why don't we begin? Can you tell us what LEAF is all about up in uh, up in up north in Canada? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, LEAF, uh, also known as the uh, Women's Legal Education and Action Fund, is a, uh, a national not-for-profit and charity uh, in Canada that works to advance the rights of women, girls, trans and non-binary people using litigation, law reform and public legal education. So we've been doing this work for almost 40 years now. The organization was founded in uh, 1985. Uh, and for the, a large part of the history of the organization, up until almost two years ago now, we were really uh, exclusively dedicated to, to women's uh, rights, as the full title of the organization suggests. Uh, and a couple of years ago, we updated our, our mandate, reflective of a broader understanding of gender equality and gender justice. And so we wanted to be clear that we advocate for the rights, not just of cis and trans women and girls, but also of all trans folks and non-binary folks as well. Including the indigenous populations in Canada, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah, that has been something we've been uh, actively involved in, really trying to, along the way, uh, amplify and follow the leadership of Indigenous uh, women and organizations and communities uh, led by Indigenous folks uh, as well, to really take our, our, our cue uh, from them. And at this point in our history, too, uh, given what we, you know, we know about the longstanding uh, marginalization, the harm of colonization, uh, the mistreatment of Indigenous uh, communities, uh, we are really uh, focused on amplifying the voices of uh, Indigenous uh, folks, uh, as well as Indigenous ways of knowledge and legal orders as well, and really trying to find ways where we can to reinvigorate support um, opportunities to um, amplify Indigenous legal orders. And thank you for doing that. Um, you know, here in the U.S., as it relates to Indigenous Native people, we don't have our act nearly together as well as uh, the Canadians do. So, um, and, I, and I'd say I'd have to, I think it's important to say I, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, be pointing to us as a shining example of how of how we get things right. I think a lot of comparisons are are, are relative, and I and I and I appreciate that. Uh, but I just think there's a, a, there's no dispute up here that there's uh, a long way to go in sure. uh, in in repairing the harms of colonization. Sure. Thank you. Thanks. So let's. So one of the things as it relates to women's equality and women's rights and the rights of trans and non-binary people in Canada is that you – and you correct me if I'm wrong, but you've got some national laws in place um, where here in the US, you, you know, we're, we're still working on the Equal Rights Amendment for, for, for women. Give us a, a little bit more of the landscape of what it's like for female identifying humans – trans and non-binary people in Canada. And, um, and then if you could tell us the work that you're doing to try and buttress what, you know, national laws are in place. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think to give the the broad picture of this, uh, it's helpful to start uh, in the lead up to 1982, which is when our Charter of Rights and Freedoms uh, came into force. And it was really part of the repatriation of our constitutional structure from um, uh, Britain. Uh, so we were we had a, a constitution that was uh, still housed uh, in Britain, and that's a result, obviously, of the relationship and the, the way that, that this country was uh, founded. But in 1982, this Charter of Rights and Freedoms came into force, and it uh, guaranteed a number of constitutional rights, such as uh, the right to freedom of expression, the right to um, organize in you know labor contexts, uh, the right to life, liberty, and security of the person. And importantly for LEAF, uh, Section 15 of our charter is our equality rights provision, which guarantees uh, equal rights for uh, folks on the, discrimina- on, on the basis of uh, sex, on the basis of age, on the basis uh, of indigeneity, uh, and uh, ultimately through the development of our law on the basis of sexual orientation and other what we call analogous grounds. When the charter came into force, it actually had a three-year delay on the enactment of that provision because so many laws that were in effect would have, on a on a facial basis, violated it. So the the charter was given three years before that uh, came into effect to give governments time to fix all of the discrimination. <laughs> to clean up uh, things, that, okay. <laughs> to clean things up. And, I, and guess what? They didn't. So that was... Part of the context in which LEAF was founded, our uh, organization was founded on the day that the equality rights provision came into force. And we have been historically referred to uh, basically as the women's, uh, the, the litigation arm of the women's movement in Canada. Uh, so for I lo- analogy- Hold on a second. I just love that. Okay. I just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love that. So really using the courts to enforce those, uh, those charter rights, that was the context we were founded in to give this sort of um, equivalent to in the United States uh, in your context, it's kind of like the equivalent of the ACLU's women's rights project, which was uh, of course led by uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, so we have over the last 38 years uh, engaged in court cases uh, that have really shaped the scope of equality rights here. Um, we have been uh, involved in a, a lot of law reform activities uh, that aim to ensure that when you know governments are going to make laws, they perhaps get it a little more, a little more right from the outset rather than us having to rely on going to court to say right. you, you did it wrong and it violates the charter. Um, uh, another uh, a really important point uh, when you think of our constitutional landscape is the approach of our courts to interpreting our rights. I think in the United States, you see a really grow a really growing trend of originalism. I think of what uh, the rights that are in the Constitution and 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 in and in the various amendments, we have to think about what was in the mind of the people who are drafting it at the time. Our approach of our courts is, is quite different. It's what we call a living tree approach and understanding that the meaning of the charter wasn't meant to be fixed at the specific point in time that it was adopted. So it has grown over the years and recognized, uh, I, I suggested earlier, sexual orientation as a protected ground uh, for equality rights. And it's from that kind of landscape that we've seen the development of a lot of uh, human rights laws that provide the kind of protections uh, to women and trans uh, non-binary folks that uh, that are being, you know, attacked where they where they existed in the first place uh, in the United States. And 
so you know, you know, I do some work in Canada, and the thing that every time I go into Canada, um, what impresses me is that, and and you know, I I don't want to be patronizing, but Canadians are just so kinder and gentler. Now I know that you know I I know that there are like a whole lot of exceptions, okay, but you, they just seem to be so much more open minded, um, and 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 and. And assuming there's some truth to what I just said, why is it do you think that you could get the charter, okay, in, you know, in 1982, you had, I mean, there had to be a lot of politicizing going on all over that. But why do you, why do you think that that could happen, you know, in Canada, but we, but in the U.S., we, we can't get national unity on any of the things that you just talked about, okay. Now we've got it, you know, state by state, okay. And you know, we mm-hmm. have we have some federal laws protecting, you know, employment and stuff like that. But with no federal law, no, you know, no federal law protecting women generally, okay. No federal law encompassing LGBTQ protect. In fact, we're going backwards mm-hmm. here in the U.S. now. Why do you think it is in Canada um, so much more of an accepting atmosphere? I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge the the premise of the of the of the question. I think I think a lot of us, you know, I think there's a national identity and as a perception of us that you sort of just described of you know the the, the polite sort of progressive go along get along accepting uh, kind of society that we have up here. And I think there 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 is there is you know truth to that across uh, you know broad swaths of the of the of the population, um, and that sort of, that is sort of reflected in some of the more progressive laws and policies. Right that we have adopted. However, we're starting to see a lot of the rise of the, the right up here. And I wanted to talk right. to you. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you about that, but go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. One of the things that is very timely for the conversation that we're, that we're having today is we're starting to see um, our provinces uh, who are in charge of uh, schools here adopting policies that require the outing of trans youth to their parents in situations where they don't want to be outed and requiring the misgendering of trans and non-binary and gender diverse uh, students uh, when there's not parental consent for them to be identified by their name and their pronouns and their gender identity. There's actually a a constitutional challenge that has been launched just in the last uh, nine days, actually, against one of our province's policies to this effect uh, on the grounds that it violates that equality right, as well as the right to um, security of the person of trans youth. Which uh, province? Can I ask which province that is? Oh, of course. Yeah, this is in Saskatchewan. We've also seen New Brunswick uh, has adopted a similar policy as well. And we've seen some musings here in Ontario from the provincial uh, minister of education about, you know, maybe maybe that's a good idea. Uh, and I think uh, a lot of us uh, on the front lines of uh, the, the the fight for you know gender justice um, vehemently uh, disagree with that. So there is uh, a growing trend, I think, in their general population as well as some of our uh, provincial governments at this point. And I and I dare say soon, perhaps our our federal government should there be a change in government um, that we're going to see some regression. And we are really um, 
uh, stealing ourselves uh, for that, those of us who are in the progressive uh, pockets of, of, the, of the country to fight uh, the fights that need to be uh, undertaken, especially for trans youth in this context. And so, so and is this, is this a, a consequence of what's happening in the U.S. filtering north to Canada? Is it, is it um, some aspect of Canadian political society realizing that maybe this is a way to drive a wedge and, and a way to, to – I mean here they're raising – I mean they raise money of course off of what they're doing uh, to trans and non-binary people. Um, what accounts for it? Whereas, you know, whereas the society, I mean, you you did get good progressiveness at the beginning. <laughs> we got a we got a framework for it uh, at least uh, the the kind of framework that allows eventually for um, as it has eventually for the right to uh, abortion, for example, right. um, not so not to be criminalized. That I think is a, a fairly constitutionally sound uh, right. It would take a very dramatic turn for our courts and how they uh, determine. Uh, our rights under the charter uh, in order to uh, take that away from us. Um, I think it's. I think there are a few different uh, factors, and I and I, and I couldn't be exhaustive with this. I do think the influence of the United States is is part of it, um, in part because we are uh, we're a population that's you know a tenth the size uh, of the U.S. We are have generally been very influenced by uh, popular culture in the United States by media. Uh, and by politics as as well. So, what is what we're seeing in the United States? It is not a it has not been a surprise, uh, and folks, especially leaders in the trans community, have been have been um, raising the red flag. Have been sounding the alarm for quite some time. This is we are not immune uh, up here, and we are seeing that uh, really starting to to take root. So, part of it is the influence, I think. Part of it is the backlash on the part of uh, a number of privileged communities, and uh, I'd say you know there, there's a disproportionate amount of um, uh, there are disproportionate amount of folks who are who have historically been privileged who are seeing the advancement of marginalized communities as a threat uh, to their own identity yeah. and their own place in society, and it's a lashing out uh, against that. Uh, as well, uh, I think there is, you know, a little bit sometimes of a, of a, of a fear of uh, the uh, what is unfamiliar and how secure folks sometimes might feel by oppressing uh, others and feel that that is the way to sort of maintain their own place in society. I think it's uh, complicated, but I think it's insidious, uh, and it is the the outcome, regardless of the the underlying cause, is. Uh, is unbelievably harmful uh, to these communities. And are you and are you seeing polling from, you know, that's reflecting a greater, um, toler greater acceptance of the idea that that it's okay to marginalize trans and non-binary people and maybe LGB people as well. I I don't know that off the top of my head. Okay. I couldn't tell you that I've that I've that I've uh, that I've seen polling to that effect. Uh, I have what I have seen is um, the the premier of Saskatchewan. Um, quite frankly, I, I think using manipulated polling to suggest that uh, it is totally uh, reasonable uh, to require parental uh, consent uh, for trans youth and non-binary youth under 16 uh, to be forced to be uh, misgendered if their parents yeah. don't consent. 
uh, to their gender being uh, recognized. Uh, but the thing you always have to keep in mind with the poll numbers that you see is looking at the underlying questions and the, and the of manipulation of yep. the manipulation of push polling, which I, I think is something that um, that I have that I have seen. And uh, you know, and of, and of course. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that Canada has issued travel warnings about coming to the U- to at least some of the states in the U.S. For yeah. example, you know, I can't go to Florida. Okay, I, yeah. I mean, I just can't go because I have to use the men's restroom <laughs> in Florida, um, and and so of course I'm not going to go to Florida, and so. Uh, it, I mean, if the travel warning suggests to me at least, at least you've got people in Canada understanding that what's going on in the U.S. is not good, and it's not it's not safe for Canadians. Yeah, and uh, though I, I wouldn't link, the, I don't think this was um, a decision that was actually made by our elected uh, officials. So I don't sort of want to give. Sure. Well, I don't want to place the source of that uh, incorrectly. Um, but I, I think that's the that's the case. Um, but we also still have right now in in Canada a, a, a progressive uh, government, uh, a, a Liberal Party that is. Um, uh, certainly not uh, perfect, but is uh, one of the most uh, feminist, probably the most feminist uh, government that we have seen at the at the federal level. Mm. Um, so I, you know, I personally don't uh, I don't take that for granted, uh, and I and I think that has we're seeing what's going to be teed up, I think, in our next election, which will take place within the next two years, a real clash of progressive values between the Liberal Party and the NDP, uh, our new Democratic, new Democratic Party uh, on the sort of left, left center of the spectrum and the Conservative Party on the right uh, of the spectrum, uh, whose leader is engaging in some uh, pretty harmful rhetoric. Not good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, my hope is that Canada, is that notwithstanding that, that you can avoid a lot of the, I mean, the the just i mean the polling here shows that more than half the republicans think you know that democrats are enemies i mean that we're enemies to the country you know and you got the same kind of uh, twist as democrats viewing republicans and you know i'm a i'm a unifier not a divider and i mean i'm like come on we can get past this but we got to take some risks to do that Pam, one of the questions I always have for my guests is what made them so idealistic? And and I don't know if you consider yourself an idealist. I define an idealist as somebody working to try and create positive change in the world. You seem to be that kind of person. But assuming you view yourself idealistic or however you want to describe yourself, how did you become that way? Because, I mean, you are a very successful lawyer before you got involved in the nonprofit world with LEAF. And I'm sure that there were many other doors and many other paths that you could have taken. But here you are with a – sounds like a wonderful nonprofit. But what made you so idealistic? I That's such a great uh, question. I, I've never really thought about that sort of question before. I think I, I, think I probably just – I'd probably describe myself as a uh, maybe more of a pragmatic idealist, like sure. a tempered uh, idealist. Uh, but I certainly uh, – trace a lot of that back to being raised by uh, a single mom uh, who really made a lot of sacrifices for me and for my brother uh, growing up. Uh, And in various stages along the course of my life, I have seen the impact um, 
from close and from afar uh, of gender-based violence, of sexual violence, of the ways in which uh, women in particular are uh, are marginalized, are harmed, and are failed by our state systems. And uh, along the way, I've, I've thought, you know, if I have a skill set that I can build and develop and deploy to help correct uh, some of those wrongs, um, that I think would be part of being able to say, you know, at the end of at the end of whatever journey I, I am on, that I, I have spent my time and uh, resources and the skills that I have. Well, I think uh, you know I, you, you, you see wrongs that are happening in the world, and you want to do what you can to. Yeah. I want to do what I can to uh, address them, and that's sort of that's where that's where my um, that's that's kind of my motivation. Well, you, and you also strike me as someone who's not afraid and who's a tough nut. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I actually witnessed that uh, firsthand when uh, you and I were uh, working together on the panel. So, <laughs> I think you got it. You got to be. You get, a, you get to a certain point in doing this work and you got to be. Uh, fearless, and I think so many, and, and including yourself, I think so many who are um, living in this uh, climate, in particular, folks who are involved in the same sorts of fights that we're involved in, you can't back down, and you have to, you have to be a tough nut, and you have to be fearless. You do, you absolutely do, and I think that that ripples to other people, and I think that it causes other people when they see brave folks. I think it causes other people to believe that they can be brave as well. You know. So, I hope so. All right. Well, listen, Pam, uh, it has been a real pleasure to talk with you. Hold on. Before we go, though, how can my audience find out more about LEAF? All right. And I'm assuming you take American dollars as well as Canadian for donations. Am I right about that? You can you can definitely <laughs> donate on our, on our website, which is uh, www.leaf.ca. And, uh, yeah, you can find out more about our work there. Um, and, you know, for folks who are, are interested in, you know, finding out, uh, finding out more connecting or, you know, if there are folks listening who want to collaborate, uh, my, uh, they can find my contact information on the website as well. And it's Leaf, L-E-A-F, right? Yep, L-E-A-F dot C-A. And we're on, we're on what remains of Twitter. Leaf National. Uh, and it's the same tag on uh, Instagram too. Okay, well that's uh, that's just great. And and do you have a newsletter if somebody wants to find out yes, about that? Yes, the first thing that will pop up if you visit our website is an invitation to uh, to subscribe to our newsletter, and then you'll also find that little button to donate if you are so uh, moved. We're loving it. Okay. All right. Well, Pam, Rick, thank you so, uh, so very much for being on LE 2.0 Radio. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I. I'm just really thrilled that you're up there and that you're doing the work that you're doing, okay? I wish that you were down here also doing the work. So, But I know that we have good people down here as well. So, yeah. But thank you, and I wish you all the best of luck, and thanks for protecting humans. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Ellie. Take all right. care.
Okay, take care. Thanks, Pam. All right, everyone. That was Pam Rick with Leaf. Uh, check it out, as she said. Um, and uh, Leaf, uh, you, get, you you got the the email address. And when we come back, I'll be in the C block talking about my work as an idealist. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio, one of the few radio transgender radio hosts in the world, talking about idealism and idealists. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. We'll be back in a sec. And we're back. Okay, uh, check out Leaf. Um, it sounds it's a wonderful organization, and, and and spend the time to go through their website because they're doing one. We didn't even get to talk about some of the projects they're working on, like uh, universal or basic uh, guaranteed income, um, and and other things up in Canada. I I think. I, you know, I understand what Pam said about uh, how the country seems to be changing because of what's filtering from the U.S., but I still have great, great respect for the Canadians about how they can do so many things way better than we do. All right, C-Block, here, talk about my work. I don't have a whole lot of time. Um, I will make this note on Monday, uh, two days from today, okay? Um, it will be the twenty. Second anniversary of 9-11. And you just heard in the A Block about how Robert Shetterly, how his response to 9-11 was to start becoming far more idealistic, to become more outspoken about um, speaking about the need to say truth to power here in the United States. Um, I'm not going to go down the road, but you, those who have heard me speak about 9-11 before – or if you've read my book, Getting to Ellen, you know that 9-11 was the day. It didn't only change our country, but it changed my, it changed my life. It did. It caused me to understand that I needed to go and live as me, as Ellie Krug, not as a dude, even though I'm stuck with this voice, but me as, as a woman. So, um, and how different for our country, because we see everything as before and after 9-11 now, and how different our country is 22 years in, largely I, because of what 9-11 did to us. I just... Uh, it's depressing. It really is. And um, but you know, just like you heard with Pam, and you you hear with me every week here. Um, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going, just like she's going. Um, and so there you go. Okay. All right. Well, uh, and and will you on Monday? Will you pause? Will you do me that favor? And pause. Just pause. Give it a good five minutes to think about all the lives lost on that day and then consequently the wars that we engaged in and the service members that we lost and the civilians and the innocents and oh my, just think about it, will you? We just can't keep going on like this. 
Okay. All right. So you know me. I am trying to – let's push in a different direction. I am trying to make the world a better place, of course. That's what my idealism – that's what idealism is all about. So, hey, um, I've got – if you are – if you're interested in uh, coming to one of my gray area thinking talks, we got multiples that are coming up. So on uh, September 19th, it's a Tuesday evening, I will be at um, – at uh, the Crown of Glory Lutheran Church in Chaska on that evening. I, it's either 6 or 6.30. It'll be a two-hour talk. Come. You can participate in gray area thinking. Uh, then um, two weeks later on Saturday, October 5th, I'm going to be doing gray area thinking in Waconia. I'm working my way west here. I'm working my way west at the Waconia Moravian Church. And then, <laughs> if, you're, if you're north, okay, on Sunday, November 5th, from 6 to 8 o'clock, 8 p.m., it's a Sunday, so 6 at, ni- 6 at night on a Sunday, I'll be at, in St. Francis at the St. Francis Methodist Church um, doing gray area thinking. And then <laughs> um, if you have a inclination to support the DFL, um, I'm going to be one of the three uh, speakers at uh, the DFL fundraiser in Waconia, um, at a country club in Waconia um, on on uh, September 28th. It's a Thursday night. Um, come on out. Support the DFL. Uh, they may want you to ask you to write a check. Um, you get to hear me speak. Lucy Ream is going to speak. And then there's going to be another speaker in, in, on top of that. Lucy Ream is a state rep who represents Chanhassen and, and uh, that area. So um, come on out. And then if that wasn't enough <laughs> – <laughs> okay, I am working uh, with a group of um, of friends, supporters, all women. Um, we're working on putting on a public event, gray area thinking, uh, not at a church, but at a public event, public place in Chaska, sometime in the next several months. I mean, uh, maybe uh, I don't know if we'll get it done before the end of the year. If not, we'll do it. You know, I mean, the the winter months are great times to do trainings inside because nobody wants to be doing anything outside. Um, and so, uh, so we're working on that. And, and so, and I've got, you know, people here in, in, uh, out here in Carver County who, you know, believe in my work and they want, you know, want my work to be shared with uh, the community, which I think is just, you know, that's great allyship and great support. Okay. So that, uh, as we say, there's another show in the can for you. Um, a great thanks to my producer, Patrick, had to do a little math today, but not a whole lot. Thank you, Patrick. And everyone, um, you know, um, between now and when you hear my voice next, because this is so incredibly important, it is, will you go, will you do something, something? It can just be as small as going out of your way to open the door for someone. But will you go and do something to make the world better? Will you please? And if you want to be really brave, okay, reach out to me. I've got some ideas for you, okay? All right. Have a great week. Um, and I'll be back to you next week. Oh, we're going to have another idealist. You're going to enjoy the idealist next week as well. Ellie Krug, over and out.